welcome to Drink Full and Descend, uh, a fanatical analysis of Twin Peaks. Hi, Cameron. How you doing? I'm pretty good, Mike. How are you this evening? I'm doing well. Yeah, we're shuffling along here, right? Uh, something like that. We're kind of splitting things up a little bit, I think. We're going to be sitting down right now and starting to talk about part seven of part The Return. Part seven of The Return. Looking forward to it. This was um, one of my favorite episodes yes, so far, I'll if agree. not my favorite. Yeah. Uh, Apples and oranges to compare it to. Mm-hmm. Uh, There's a lot of ape, action-packed you know. episode um, for sure. Yeah, and in many ways, um, you know, I felt like this is Twin Peaks. You yeah, know, we're um, we're back in that kind of flow and that kind of rhythm. It felt like to me, uh, I felt like this episode had really a lot of that Lynchian humor. I laughed a whole lot. Yep. I just I enjoyed it immensely. Yeah, I thought there was a lot of action as well. Um, a lot of humor in this episode. Mm-hmm. And it's, I think you were mentioning before, there's a lot that happens in this episode, but yeah. it's more or less straightforward, just kind of exposition and filling in a few blank areas, bringing up some new questions. Yeah, I think it's mostly straightforward. I mean, certainly there are some things we want to talk about, but we don't get really um, any of these scenes that are, you know, super surreal Black Lodge um, things, really, right? right? We're mostly in normal reality. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Uh, so let's get into it. Yeah, so not much uh, open to that much interpretation for this episode, but of course that's always the case even with the minor things sometimes. Um, let's talk about Jerry Horn, right? So yeah. we start this episode off in the forest. I don't know where I am. He doesn't know where he is. He's um, he's smoking and maybe he's a little high. Yeah, that line too. I um, think I'm high. But he thinks he's high. It's, um, you know, what, what I thought was kind of striking about this is... Um, we have seen Jerry um, enjoying the marijuana when we've seen him this season. Mm-hmm. Um, we know he runs a company now that infuses food with marijuana, right? Right. So, okay. I mean, we can understand getting high and getting lost in the woods. But there seems like a feeling of something a little stranger going on here. In the I background so too, of yeah. my mind, all of these um, thoughts about other accounts of people in the woods around Twin Peaks. Exactly. Um, so mm-hmm. I guess that's really the the question here. Is something more going on with Jerry, or is he just stoned? Yeah, and I like it that it could be either scenario, right? Yeah. He's just a little paranoid because he smoked a little bit too much that day. Right. But as you mentioned, he is in the woods around Twin Peaks, and we know there's something off in those woods for sure. Yeah. Uh, one thing is how he's looking through the woods. There's a panning shot that kind of like goes through this one little section of the woods. And he's looking very intensely at this area of the woods. Yeah, right? it does seem like that. So, okay, something to think about. Mostly just a humorous scene, mm-hmm. I thought. But there's one other thing is, of course, he's uh, he's got a cell phone with him, and he calls up his brother. He calls yeah. up Ben. Um, and this is where he's shouting, I think I'm high. Um, he also shouts that maybe his car has been stolen. Um, yeah. And he says, I don't know where I am. Yeah. Well, so, and I love that on the other end of the phone call, we get Ben Horn, who basically just says things like, what? Yeah, odd. Jerry, you know, what? he's like, yeah, exactly. Uh, At first he can't hear him, and he's trying to figure out what's going on, but there is one funny thing there where Jerry actually says, you're saying the same thing, or he says, you right. say the same thing. Because Ben repeats, someone stole your car. Exactly, yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, maybe there's more going on here than meets the eye. Well, when you say that it's because he's repeating him saying that somebody stole the car, right? I wondered for a moment if... He's sitting and just like kind of drinking and dialing. Maybe he's called somebody else. Uh, yeah. Who okay. has said the same thing that Ben, like, why are you giving me the same response? But hmm, of course, we don't know, but it's a humorous scene. And it starts us off, and I thought um, almost a reset, I felt, because we kind of started this whole thing. Of course, we saw the giant, we saw Cooper, and we mm-hmm. saw Jacoby, 
But way back in uh, episode uh, part one of the return, right. I felt like when the characters we really got into and started uh, with were Ben and Jerry. Right, we saw them early on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so then we go to the scene in the sheriff station. Um, and again, I found this a bit humorous. It's basically Hawk mm-hmm. talking to Frank Truman. Mm-hmm. And um, maybe the most exposition I can recall seeing in a Twin Peaks scene. Yes. Is, Spoken exposition, yeah, right. where, where they're telling us what's going on a little bit. Right. So um, it's the reveal that the pages that were found in the bathroom door are from Laura Palmer's diary. Right, so the there's secret three, diary. There's still one missing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then all of this stuff that, you know, as fans, we know, but Frank Truman wouldn't know, and Hawk's just putting together. And Hawk's just putting together 25 so, years later. Yeah, I thought this yeah. was kind of funny because I realized, oh, yeah, you know, in terms of these characters... Um, this is what makes sense that they're just putting this together now. That, yeah, Hawk's picking up uh, after um the end of season two right yeah. now. Or, he says, uh, you know, so if the good coop is in the lodge, then whoever came out of the lodge is not the good cooper, right? You know, and it's like okay, good inference that you know we all made back in '92 when we saw Fire Walk with Me right. or whatever. Um, but it tells us that first of all, the Twin Peaks Sheriff Department is on the case. Yeah, where you know Hawk and Andy might come through where the FBI couldn't. <laughs> yeah, and I thought it played well that you do have this new character of Frank Truman. He's telling this to, and, and of course Frank wasn't in that original story. So, you know, I thought it worked, and I thought it was, you know, I thought it was fairly humorous. I enjoyed the scene. Yeah, I thought that was uh, funny as well. Um, and so, you know, we also uh, like seeing Ben and Jerry. We're backgrounded amongst the characters that we love mm-hmm. and their take on what's going on. Right, and I think in terms of what I was saying as we were you know, talking, getting into this, maybe part of that is we spend maybe the most time in Twin Peaks during this episode that we have so far, mm-hmm. right? Correct. Because we go uh, from the horns to Hawk, and now we're going to follow Andy as he's meeting up with this uh, guy about the truck. Mm-hmm. Yep, that, that comes to the next scene. Um, in this uh, next scene, we do see that Andy is on the trail of um, basically Richard Horn, right? So right. they've identified the truck. We don't exactly see how we might. It might have come from Miriam having identified the truck right, or right, other right. witnesses. There were so many people around. Mm-hmm. You have to figure someone got at least a partial plate number, right? I guess. I think if Miriam's going to be folded in here, that might be more explicit. Mm-hmm. I could see Richard killing her or something, for example. Right. You know, I mean, I don't know. I'm speculating. Yeah. Um, because this guy Andy's talking to is freaked out. He's really scared. He says, "We can't talk here." He's trying to shoo him away. He's really like, if, if the wrong person sees me here, which could be Richard Horn, it could be Red. There are a couple ideas in my head of who might he be scared of. Yeah, I wondered about that. I'm leaning more towards Richard, mm-hmm. uh, if only because um, given that scene between Richard and Red, I would hypothesize that Richard would be trying to hide this from Red. I could, I could see that. Right. Mm-hmm. I don't think he would go right to Red and say, oh, help me. I ran over a kid, mm-hmm. given that power dynamic. Well, or that um, maybe there was a random meeting about to happen. You know, we, possible, we do yeah. know that um, Red previously told Richard that he would be dropping these uh, the Chinese designer drugs for him in local places. Right. I mean, yeah. is this Marianne's? Is that what this, we're we, That's what we, I was wondering. We don't actually. know. Yeah, yeah we, we don't, don't know. know. But we do know that he's really scared. And Andy, yeah. being a sweetheart as well as a sheriff, yeah. actually lets the guy, like, rearrange another time to meet him. So they arranged to meet at... 430, right? 430. So another little yeah. detail in the very beginning of um, the return. We hear the giant saying that 430 is something we need to watch for. Yeah, so we've got now a f- um, 430. Richard was driving that truck. We've had a Linda who was mentioned. Mm-hmm. 
and we're wondering, is this what we're supposed to be paying attention to, or is this a red herring? Yeah, which it totally could be. Yeah. Um. <laughs> um, because he doesn't, you know, the giant also says, doesn't say 4.30 p.m. No, he says 4.30. Yes. yeah. Right. And so that could refer to many things, but at the same time, that set us up in the beginning to look for that sequence of numbers. Right. And here we have it in episode seven. Yeah. Um, so um, then we, um, a bit later in the episode maybe, um, cut to Andy waiting for this guy on the road. And he mm-hmm. looks at his watch and it says it's 5.05. Mm-hmm. Um, and then basically he leaves. I guess 35 minutes is a reasonable amount of time to wait for someone in a situation yeah. like that. Yeah, I would say. Um, but th- this also brings up the details. So if the f- this is the four, a little conjecture, but if this is the 430 we've been looking for. Yeah. What does it signify? It's the moment where Andy is stood up when he's yeah. supposed to meet this person. Yeah, and you get these cuts in there back to the guy's house and the door is ajar. Right, implying maybe he's already been killed or maybe he's yeah. disappeared or... At least ominous sort whoever of Whoever he was worried about seeing him talking to the cops, maybe they saw him talking to the sheriff. It at least know? gave me that feeling like yeah. he might be lying dead on the floor inside. I but felt that way we too. We don't see that, we just see the door. And yeah. It's kind of a great Lynchian shot. Um, another p- thing that um, people have noticed in this scene with Andy is that the watch is a Rolex. Yes. People were blowing up about this online. Yeah. And um, how the heck could Andy afford a Rolex? Or why would Andy, yeah. knowing what we know about him, be interested in a Rolex? Yeah. And, and I think, you know, maybe there is a question there. But, you know, it's also one of these things where Twin Peaks fans can get so, so fanatical, as mm-hmm. we are right, mm-hmm. right in the podcast. Um Sometimes it's hard to tell what is an important detail and what isn't. But, Correct, yeah. Um, Andy does have a Rolex. Andy does have a Rolex, yeah. Okay. The other thing that makes me think is maybe it's the opposite of what it first seems. In other words... How do you mean? Well, the sense of like, oh, Andy's got a Rolex. What is he got lots of money we don't know about and all this stuff? Maybe it's the opposite of that. Maybe the Rolex is the one nice thing Andy has ever got. Yeah. And it could be a gift. It could, you know, we don't know. It's all speculation. Yeah. But it's funny that the character is so complete. That one mm-hmm. little detail like that, and everybody's questioning, oh, are we in another dimension because right. Andy People has are starting to think that, you know, oh, is Andy dirty? I don't know if I could deal with that. Um, is Andy together enough to be a dirty cop? Yeah, I'm not I sure. kind of um, don't think so either. But just, I mean, you know, that that that's how much we care about Andy, and that's how much we know him to be sweet and good and wholesome. Yeah. Any tiny little hint that there's something wrong with that. And a lot of fans are blown up, you know, wondering. Oh, my I God, mean, what on the mean? on the other hand, to me, the idea that Andy is the kind of guy who even now would have a watch instead of just using his phone as a clock. Yeah, that fits for me. I like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and we do know there's something about the cell phone technology with Lucy. Yeah, right. Maybe he's chosen specifically like we don't use cell phones around Lucy. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was gonna say also the watch uh, Rolex is one of those symbolic gifts that you often hear. Oh, so and so's retiring, or oh, you've been with the sheriff's office yeah. for 25 years, or. You know, I right. could picture the guys getting together and they got Andy a Rolex, something nice yeah. for once, you know. Yeah, that sounds good to me. But it's either way, it's fun. Indeed. And I love seeing that Andy has a Rolex. Right. The other thing that's fun, I think this is where we're going next, right, is to the sheriff's Skype. station. And the Skyping with yeah. Middlebury Doc. Yes. I love the setup with the monitor and the desk. It's great. Uh, I want that. Yes. Um, Frank got, when Frank arrived at the TP sheriff's office, he said right away, call the AV guy. <laughs> We need to hook this desk up. Right. And then he doesn't want the monitor sitting on the desk all the time. Right. Right. Um, but, okay, before that he does, um, it seems, uh, talk to Harry on the phone. We get these moments in there. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how much information we're getting other than reiterations of Harry being sick. 
Yeah, he's sick, and it seems like it's something that's bad. And yeah. he's somewhere dealing with that, which implies he might be at a treatment center. Yeah, or, I'm thinking cancer. Yeah, that seems to be what Frank it is. Frank says, uh, beat this thing yep. at one point, which yep. seems like the kind of thing people say about cancer. Mm-hmm. Um, we haven't been told, I don't think, but mm-hmm. that's sort of what I'm thinking. Yeah, seems that way. Um, Frank also makes another call before he Skypes with Doc Hayward he, yeah, to he calls call him Doc Hayward and he, ask him, does he know how to Skype, basically? Yeah, and Doc says, oh, yeah, I use it all the time. Yeah, so um, then that's, I thought that was very, very real. When are you going to ever see those kind of details in yeah. something that's written that's on TV or in movies where it's like, oh, yeah, that's how it is these days. There's a call first yeah. after an email. Right. And then the call during the call says, oh, hey, should we change uh, up this format yeah. of communication? What's your Skype handle? Yeah, you exactly. Uh, and so I thought that was very authentic and right. came off really well. But it brings up a couple questions about Doc Hayward that might be sorrowful. Might, maybe not. Yeah. Well, I, so do you want to mm-hmm. start with real life? This is Warren Frost, the actor. Yes. Um, who did pass away shortly you know, after filming this really he did yeah and this episode in the credits is dedicated to him indeed and mark frost's father again mark frost's father little you know so he's a a family member of the characters in the show but he's also family to the creators of the show exactly so this is a very important figure as an actor but the other question then within the narrative that we were discussing is um where's the rest of the hayward family yeah so it seems in this way you know he's there's a little joking about the fish biting and that's the thing He's not saying, how's the wife and your three daughters we know about? Right. He's saying, exactly. how are the fish being caught? Yeah, so and, what's you know, happened? Did you cook um, them right after you caught them? What happened to Donna and Harriet and Gersten? And, um, well, if you recall the end of season two, there was that scene with Ben Horn. I mean, I guess it's possible that that whole situation led to them being estranged. Yeah, a quick refresher know? since we're mentioning it. Ben Horn comes in and is basically spilling the truth that he is actually Donna's father. Right. Um, this and Doc comes in right after this and freaks out and actually slams Ben against a wall, busting his head. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Doc Hayward screams in this super anger. It's the first time we see him lose his cool. Right. That's yeah. how we've left him for the last twenty-five years. And it was this moment that could actually have disrupted the entire Hayward family. It could have, although you also have in that scene Donna hugging him and saying, you're my daddy and things like that. So mm-hmm. um, really, we just don't know. But definitely something to think about. Where are the Haywards? Where besides, are the Haywards? Besides Doc. Yeah. Um, so there's a couple of things that he reveals um, even outside of his family. This is yeah. when we find out, which is a big deal to the story for me, is that um, Audrey Horn is alive, did mm-hmm. survive the explosion at the bank. But was in a coma. But right was in a coma right, right. afterward. I, I do believe this gets mentioned in The Secret History as well. Yes, it right? does. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of things that you watch, a lot of people were probably learning this right here. Yeah. Right. Um, and the reason Frank's calling Doc Hayward, we should mention, right, is that he's had this conversation with Hawk, and Hawk mentioned that Doc Hayward was there after Cooper had come out of the lodge and so on and so forth, right back Correct. in the end of season two. That, yeah. We saw that in the finale. So Frank is uh, now slowly starting, but now on the case to figure out what's going on with Cooper. Right. That's also why he called Harry, but Harry, it seems, was too sick to talk about yeah, it. He Frank decides, I'm, I'm just not going to gonna bug him about it right yeah. now. No, it's nothing urgent. Yeah. Which, okay, that makes sense. But, yeah, so the other thing that Doc tells him really is... Um, about seeing Cooper, or we know it's the doppelganger, right? 
um, leaving the hospital, right? And he's speculating that um, he thought at the time that this was Cooper going to see Audrey in a coma. That's how we get that information. Right. Yeah. And because we can piece together enough now to know, and of course anybody that's outside the narrative knows, Yeah. um, at that point we're already, that's not the good Cooper. Right. So all this, We see Bob inside uh, him in the mirror. Um, When he leaves the Great Northern, he kind of leaves a little inexplicably, and uh, we don't know if it's right when he leaves or not, but Mm -hmm. it's it's the evil Cooper going to see... At least, uh, assume yeah. presumably going to see Audrey in the hospital. And that's what Doc was thinking anyway, right? So yeah, immediately people were speculating that maybe Evil Cooper raped Audrey in a coma and is Richard Horn's father and things like this. I feel I that's a little know. bit too much speculation yeah. from the facts that we have. We, we we can't at all confirm any of that, but yeah. a number of people were making that speculation. Yeah. So, but it brings to light the idea that you can drop a hint like that in the show. Yeah. And it's like uh the wolves at the door, you know, you they'll carry right. away any right. possible speculation. And it's actually one of those things where I feel like so many people were thinking that, it made me think that's probably wrong. I don't know if you ever have that kind of thought. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, especially with uh, anything related to Lynch and Frost and Exactly. Peaks. I meant, yeah, particularly related to this kind of thing where it's like, you know, if that's what so many people are led to think, then yeah, I think that they're planting mm. misdirects. Yeah. And I think that there's some, you know, kind of misinformation woven into the story. Yeah. So, but we don't know um, for sure if um, Doppel Cooper did see Audrey in the hospital, you know. Right. Um, who knows? Of course, another possibility here if Doc just saw him in the hospital, you might recall from the missing pieces that you saw the um, owl ring, the jade ring. Mm-hmm. Um, being taken off of Annie's finger, and um, the nurse took it, right? Correct. This is a really strange scene because uh, the nurse takes it off of uh, Annie's finger and puts yeah. it on her own finger, yeah, and we know this this comes with a high away, price. You know. Yeah, she kind of jaunts away, and she's excited and thrilled, and I got the feeling that she changed in that second and decided, I'm not a nurse anymore. Let's, you know. Maybe. You so... Know, so. I think it's also a possibility that um, Mr. C uh, was there after the ring. Correct. You know, I think that's a possibility we should bear in mind. Yeah, that definitely could be. That that was why he was in the hospital. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that takes us back to um, South Dakota Police Department morgue. Right, we're going to check in there because uh, Lieutenant... Constance has done some research, yep. mm -hmm, And Lieutenant Knox, or Cindy, uh, has made her way to South Dakota, Mm -hmm. right, after the previous scene we saw... Um, she's there to investigate this hit on Major Briggs's fingerprints. Mm-hmm. Which she's expecting to see that were lifted from something. Yeah, right, because apparently that's happened 16 times or something. 16 right? times in 25 years, the FBI had um, hits of Major Briggs's prints. Mm-hmm. Here's the, what, 17th, or this might be the 16th time. One or the other, yeah. And when she gets there, uh, Constance, the coroner, describes to her, hey, this the prints came off of the body itself. Right, I think Dave, uh, Detective Dave tells her, first of all, you know, there's a body, all right. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, they go look at it, and then Constance tells her the, f- the prints came from this body, and she asks a couple of questions. Yeah, and she's kind of shocked in that moment to realize, like, and there's maybe a little fear behind that shock, saying, Oh, yeah. Oh, my goodness, we have Briggs's body. This might yeah. be the can of worms that actually I did not want to see in my career. Right. Because uh, for 25 years, it seems like it's kind of this legendary case. Earlier on, we see that Cindy, uh, full name Cynthia Knox, right? Right, um, yeah. Is talking to Colonel Davis, 
and it's kind of like a jokey situation like oh yeah we got this hit yeah, again or, yeah, it's the says, legend oh, it of Briggs won't really be anything yeah. but you gotta go check it out and, so this is an actualization um, it's her realizing like oh geez the myth is true right sort and, of moment or something like that and, and of course where's the head we mm-hmm. might know we saw Briggs's head floating through space I don't know if we mentioned that uh, well we I know we mentioned it in a previous podcast but Maybe it's not really until here that we're getting definite confirmation that it is Briggs's body. Correct. Um, and who knows if that was Briggs's head? That was a long, uh, you know, visual element floating through space that could have been in Cooper's head while he's in the White Lodge. Whatever. I'm just saying. But it, you're right. It we was don't know. Yeah, we don't yeah. know where the head that goes with this body is. But we saw the head without a body floating through space in this Correct. weird scene, okay. We, and we have uh, Cindy responding to this, saying, okay, I've got a call and report, but she also kind of hints that this isn't going to be their case for that much longer. She kind of feels out the FBI's well, coming Well, yeah, on this. because she knows they're going to have to call the FBI and so on. And I love that little phone call with um, Colonel Davis mm-hmm. um, uh, when she explains how he's missing a head. And the other thing, that the body is the wrong age, right? We right. didn't talk about that yet. Mm-hmm. So it's um, basically the body has not aged. It's uh, if it should be that of a seventy-something-year-old man, right? If be- it had aged correctly, right? Because Constance says um, he was killed within the past few days, mm-hmm. but also um, says the body is that of a um, man in his mid mid to late forties, mm-hmm. right? Something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's that weirdness here. If Briggs had died when he was in his mid-40s, which I think we had been thinking, right, 25 years ago, that would have been 25 years ago. Yeah. But if he only died a few days ago, then he should have been in his 70s. Here's, okay, let me, here's what I what love. What the hell? This, this is where I'm really starting to love the show. Yeah. Um, we're getting more and more science fiction. And mm-hmm. we know from secret history that Major Briggs was involved with this pursuit and study of possible extraterrestrial or interdimensional right. activities happening in the woods around Twin Peaks. Right, and we saw him disappear in the original series. and He was marked, you know, right? Go to maybe the White Lodge, people think, or right. whatever. Um, yeah, and so, so. We're, we're really getting far out there, and it's really sci-fi. And there's also, this is followed by what might be a critical scene. So we see that Cynthia Knox goes out into the hallway. Yeah, then there's, again, She's our, calling Davis, our Colonel friend Davis. from the prison, the oily black... Yeah, charred, burnt, or somehow oily. Yeah, character. It also re- is is almost um, a motif character, like the character we discussed this earlier that we've seen in Mulholland Drive and other places. Mm-hmm. So, a um, couple of questions here. One is, what is this guy doing there? I mean, he's yeah. Just the second there. you see him, you say, "Oh, is that an extra in the background?" And you're like, "Wait, no, it can't be." Right. But there's a really strange moment where she seems to hear something. Turns around and looks down the hallway. My first thought was, oh, she sees him and looks back. Yeah, we were talking about this. Um, Does she see him? I think the reason I really marked a question about whether she sees him is because if she did see that guy, you would expect a little more of a response. Right. She didn't tell the other people. She didn't react. Mm-hmm. Her response seems more along the lines of, um, I sense someone in the hallway and I kind of turn around to look. Or she heard the door that the guy comes through, and she turned and looked to the door and Maybe. didn't see him at all. She looks at him, but I think there's a question about whether she saw him because, I mean, just thinking about it, if you saw uh, a man who looked like that in that space in that moment. Oh, in the morgue? No, I'd yeah. have been out of there. It doesn't matter yeah. what the branch <laughs> of the armed forces run that away. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or at least react more than she does. So yes. I think that is a question. And, of course, we already saw him in the prison kind of 
dematerialize or whatever yeah. as we talked about before well so. and in that scene he not only dematerializes but he his body disappears he's right. disembodied yeah and he's a head and when we're yeah. referring to briggs that's what we're talking about right and let's, a body not, without uh, a head. let's not forget about poor ruth where's her body yeah where is ruth's I mean, body that know. may yeah. never come we might to never know we get so caught up in thinking about briggs but mm-hmm. where's ruth's body you know? um the other thing about this is the the figure that comes in this shadowy charred figure walks the complete length of the hallway. Yeah. Cynthia goes back in to discuss to Dave and Constance. Right. This isn't going to be your case anymore. Yep. Um, during that time, we see the figure walk by in the background and just passes that room. Mm-hmm. So, again, we've seen him, but it seems that none of the characters in that scene have seen him. Yeah. Um, this also reminded me of Fire Walk With Me, Philip Jeffries, and Coop. Like, was he here, Coop? And yeah. where he, he walks right by him, but he doesn't notice that he's walked right by him. Right. And speaking of Fire Walk with me, um, you might also think maybe this figure bears some resemblance to the guys we saw in the Philip Jeffrey scene and the convenience store scene, rather, yep. the kind of in the background guys. Yes. But although they did not seem all black and sooty. There's some speculation um, about this online as well. A lot of that has to do with kind of the garb they're wearing, the gloves, yeah. the kind of forestry type figure that wears a, yeah. a beanie and a flannel shirt yeah i mean at least if you look closely it seems like it could be one of those guys but just all covered in soot or oil or whatever you know right something like that and so just the mystery of those guys alone we don't need any of the other bodies or any of the other people this could have been a whole series about who the hell are these guys that keep appearing so it seems that um cindy has a lot of work to do right she's got her work cut out for her right so well, but uh, who knows, right? Maybe all of this is going to be picked up by the FBI because now um, Colonel Davis has to call the FBI. So I am curious, what's the result of that phone call? Are we all of a sudden going to get, um, you know, Albert or someone uh, investigating this thing in South Dakota? Maybe. And I, I love the duality of authority here as well. So, And this occurs in secret history as well. So mm-hmm. Briggs and um, Dougie uh, Milford. Dougie Milford, yeah. Um, we're working with the Air Force and with the federal government. Yeah. Um, the FBI is kind of a different branch of authority that also has Gordon Cole's Blue Rose cases. Yeah, and right? isn't there something in the secret history that once Dougie Milford loses his official position or something, he only trusts Gordon Cole in the in the government? Well, uh, th- I think the book is that's true, but the character is Briggs, where he's you know adopting Briggs to take on his work. Okay. And he meets with Briggs, and he says to Briggs, no, you can ask me two questions about what's going on here. Yeah. And Briggs does, and one of those questions is, what's our mission here? And he comes flat out, and he says, you know, this is uh, to not only the pursuit of interdimensional characters, uh, possibly extraterrestrial uh, beings, but to monitor them Hmm. and to be the first point of contact in case of contact or attack. Yeah. So he's actually put Major Briggs yeah. in this position saying, hey, you're the human on Earth that's going to let us all know if aliens attack us right. and are responsible for protecting us. Yeah. So that just blows it into such huge science fiction terms. Right. Indeed. That I, you know, I'm I'm ready to watch another thousand episodes of Twin Peaks. Yeah, I know. I don't, I would right. like to see this never end. Yeah. And I, I when agree. I'm 80 on my deathbed, it'll be like, you know, whatever happened to Briggs and we never found yeah. his head and, you know, who I doubt we'll be so fortunate. Yes, that um, would be wonderful. But it, that's the level that we're talking on here of uh, kind of a mystery within a complex yeah. labyrinth, you know. So, um, but nevertheless, I do feel like Cindy's got her work cut out for her. What she previously thought was 
a myth that was something to be laughed at. Yeah. She's she'd, now thrown right into the mix. She thought this was just a little jaunt that wasn't going to go anywhere. And uh-oh. Mm-hmm. And I, I kind of wonder if she's going to be like a Cooper-type figure when Coop first comes to Twin Peaks and starts seeing visions and having dreams and mm-hmm. starts getting connected more to what's going on there, where, you know, now we're going to possibly see that with Cindy Knox, and I'm looking forward to seeing more of her. Okay, so let's go to this great scene of Gordon Cole whistling in his office. This, I think, is... This at this point, watching episode seven is my favorite thing I've seen so far. Just him sitting in front of the uh, poster of the nuclear explosion. There's a huge poster of the A bomb behind him, just a giant mushroom cloud. back in his chair and casually whistling. And he's casually sitting back in his chair whistling, and just a look on his face with the pressed lips and his eyes squinting. And if you love David Lynch, you love this moment, right? It's just he's turned the camera around on himself. Yeah. You know, something to be said uh, in general, I think, with him taking the kind of this very important figure and acting as that character himself. Yeah. Um, putting himself on TV. Yeah. So Lynch is going for the full experience and, and did before, introducing himself as Cole, as Agent Cole. Um, but just to see him sitting there whistling... He's got a you know a thumb at certain points on his um, ear, hearing aid. Yeah, right. Like he's um, testing out um, hearing his whistling through his hearing aid or something. I, I don't know. And it's also the type of whistling that's not smooth, like melodic whistling. I, at first, I'm thinking, are you doing bird calls? Yeah. Or but, is this a thing in Twin Peaks you learned? Or. But I've got a couple of things uh, here, mm-hmm. right? Um, on the one hand, um, it sounds like the Rammstein song, um, Engel, mm-hmm. or. Or know. Angel. Angel was right. what it is. I was trying to say it in German, but, sure. you know, pardon my pronunciation. Mm-hmm. But also, and it might be the same thing, right? I think Ramstein might have just lifted this or sampled it even, which is the theme from Fellini's Amacord. Mm-hmm. Um, so those notes, I think actually, you know, given what we know about David Lynch, lover of Fellini on the one hand. Sure. But he's also done some stuff uh, with Rammstein. I mean, and Rammstein was in um, Lost Highway, their music, and uh, I think he's had some other contact with them. So I almost think it's both references. Yeah. So the Rammstein song is called Angel. Mm-hmm. And uh, with the Fellini, that phrase, Amacord, um, has this sense, I've gleaned from the internet, of being this sort of idiot- idiomatic way of saying, do you remember or please remember. So yeah. So kind of like, remember that? You know, hmm. so, so there's like do, a nostalgia thing going on. Yeah. Do you remember Angel? Do you remember Angel? Right. Or I mean, an angel or maybe do angels remember us? Or right. Um, are you going to forget? Are the angels going to forget about us and leave the us angels stranded? all gone away? Right. Yeah. And go back to fire. Walk with me. That's what Laura says. The, um, oh, OK. Right. We yeah. talked about this in a previous uh, previous podcast. Right. That um thing about falling through space mm-hmm. would you go faster or slower mm-hmm. the end of that laura says and the angels won't help you because the angels have gone away because they've all gone away and yeah. um yeah but then there's that kind of maybe a little cheesy shot at the end of fire walk with me where she's with the angels and she's crying you remember yeah, that? yeah sure okay so are we very subtly being asked to remember angels um just through the whistling it could be as an archetype or as that scene or, mm-hmm. like I said, putting those two concepts together, right. it could be asking the angels to remember us as well, I think, which is an interesting spinning it around right. that way. And um, please don't forget about us. We've got this darkness and we're in talking the woods about, outside um, Twin Peaks or whatever. Uh, you know? Music, and we've done that uh, as we've been going. I don't know if we really put emphasis on this in our previous discussions, but um, a lot of these songs that we're hearing in the Roadhouse and so on at some point, use the word remember. 
right. which I was just oh, thinking yeah. about just now mm-hmm. as we were talking about this. So I don't know what's what um, memory um, and how that ties in, but definitely um, a great scene. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this uh, is actually interrupted for a bit of dialogue with Albert, who comes into the room. Oh, yeah, because he's got to check in about going to see Diane. He's got to check in. He has gone to see Diane at the Max Vons bar. Right, and we learn here about how well that went. Yeah, and he basically tells Cole, you know, she told me to fuck off. Yeah, um, that and, was it. And yeah. that was it. And um, um, in that moment, you your know, turn. Cole sa- yeah, he says, your turn. And Cole says, well, will you go with me, though? Yeah, he makes him say please. And he's, and yeah, this is a great moment where Albert's like, you know what? I will, but if you say please. And, and then that moment where he pauses, right? You don't know yeah. if you're going to get the please for a second. Well, and particularly because um, Cole says what, like, uh, or whatever. Yeah, right you now, heard me. You heard me. Yeah. And yeah. it's true. He did hear him. Yeah. He's, he's playing yeah. So this is a really great scene because of how well they know each other. Right. And, and also, like Doc other. Hayward, this is another character that very sadly we have lost. This is Miguel yeah, Ferrer. Miguel Ferrer. Yeah. And he's wonderful as Albert. Um, you know, when he first is introduced in the original series, he comes in as kind of a mean city, like trash-talking city guy. Yeah, I mean, I always thought he was funny and I always liked him, but you yeah. know, particularly you warm up to him over you time. You warm up to him yeah. over time, yeah. And then here now we see... He's been right at the right hand of Cole for years and years and years, yeah. and they know each other extremely well. Right? right, so they're off to see Diane. I love this scene, too. We're talking about the humor in this episode. Yeah. I was just laughing so hard so much throughout this because we really get a nice taste of Diane. Yep. Laura Dern is great. So we see her apartment. This is where we go next. And, and she's got have... some boy toy or something. Yeah, exactly. There There's a young man <laughs> that's, that knows her and kind of leaves. Oh, the guests arrived, and I think it's funny that um, – when David Lynch shows up, he says, we're here to see Diane Champ. He calls him Champ. Yeah. That alone well, is This is a noticeably younger man. Yeah. I yeah. Mean, he's uh, probably in his 20s or something, yeah, but he's also, indeed. yeah, I, I wondered, is this, you know, boy toy or what the deal yeah. is? But Diane knows what she wants and she lives her life. And, and she loves telling people in the FBI to, to go fuck, fuck themselves. Off. Yeah. <laughs> fuck you, everybody. Um so, yeah, this is really great that uh, when they come in and they sit down and she basically tells both of them, fuck you. Yeah. Um, they also have a little discussion about coffee and cigarettes, which I love. I love and well, I love some of these lines here, too. Um, I love when Cole says, uh, now that we've got the pleasantries out of the way. Yeah. After exactly. she's told them both, fuck, fuck you. you. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Do you have any coffee? I don't know. And I don't have any cigarettes either. And she's drinking coffee and smoking <laughs> yeah. when she says that. Yes. Um, and so then uh, this might require a small attitude adjustment on your part. Right. You know, yeah. The whole scene is just hilarious. Yeah. But you can tell also Cole is Cole, like, we know why he's the director of the FBI. He is yeah. so smooth. He knows how to respond instantly and appropriately in any situation. He doesn't forget any of the details. Yeah. The the Cole's only weakness, which we don't know, might not turn out to be a weakness, is his hearing, right? Right. Which we've seen examples of might be selective and not purely based on pressure waves. But he also admits here that he's given up smoking. Yeah. Right? Ah, tobacco. He says in this, like, nostalgic way, right? Yeah, and I don't know... Um you know, you were talking about this with other characters like Harry Dean Stanton. I don't know if David Lynch has quit smoking. We don't um, know. I mean, throughout the years but, of watching videos with him, I always saw him smoking right, yellow he was American always spirits. Smoking American spirits. Yeah. My brand. Right. Um, and you can even see in some of his films that Thunderbird on the cigarettes. He yeah. used them in, for props, too. But regardless, um, one thing I thought was worth noting here is that when they tell Diane, or he tells Diane that. Um, uh, Cooper apparently is in federal prison. Her first response is good. Yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. So she either knows that it's evil Cooper or there's some part of the story that we're missing that we don't know between Coop and Diane's relationship. Well, and or what's up with her relationship with the FBI and all of this hostility mm-hmm. to all you know, anyone associated with the FBI? You know. Well, let me just ask you authentically as I'm thinking about this. Is there any evidence that she is an FBI agent or is she somebody that got kind of wrapped up in their, you know, web? Yeah. Uh, you know, was she... A witness to something or, you know, how did she enter all this? Was she well, somehow, I mean, um, you know, we always knew her as just Coop's, um, you know, assistant or whatever word we want. Right. He was sending her these tapes. Um, you know, she was sending him earplugs and such mm-hmm. in the original series. It mm-hmm. seems it always seemed like they had a pretty close relationship. You find Cooper, um, you know, through that tape recorder, sharing personal details with her also. About yeah. And there's a lot of poetic moments as well just describing fresh air and coffee and such yeah right so you know i i guess um my read was always she was his assistant but you know look that would mean that she was employed by the fbi you know um so what happened here maybe when cooper disappeared she lost her job and that's part of why she's pissed off at everyone or maybe it's something else i don't know but she certainly seems angry at the fbi yeah, it's, it's true. We don't know that. And just a word on that is the, throughout the entirety of Twin Peaks and um, Fire Walk With Me and such, I always thought, is Diane just his what he's calling his files, what he's calling yeah. his, you know, has he put like kind of a persona to yeah. the person he's explaining? You know, we never knew that it was an actual person. It wasn't definitive, at least, because we never saw her before. Right. Um, but you bring up a good point, the fact that oh, Diane sent me earplugs or certain yeah. things, maybe d- there were clues before. Um, but there's a couple of things in the scene. Um, for example, we were analyzing coffee in the last podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, this coffee that she serves is damn, damn good, coffee. good coffee. Of course. And so we know that Diane's on onto good coffee for yeah. whatever that's worth. Um, and um, and uh, Cole says, uh, you know, I need you to go see Coop. Right. And so he finally gets through to her with this line about it has to do with something you know about. And that's enough said about that or something like that. Mm-hmm. What is he talking about there? Yeah. Um, but um, and this could be a hint that it's a Blue Rose case. Um, it could be a hint of something else that's just not, uh, you know. Yeah. There's another scene where later on after they get Diane, and we're going to talk about this in a minute mm-hmm. when they're talking out there, where uh, Cole and Diane are kind of having a little private conversation away from Albert and Tammy. Yeah. And you, in that you get kind of um, an idea that maybe Diane and Cole have – an understanding or have witnessed things that not everybody knows about. Yeah. So this indeed. could either be a reference to the Blue Rose case or in general it could just be something part of the story we don't know yet. Mm-hmm. And when Diane says uh, finds out Coop's in prison, she says good. Yeah. You know, that that brings up a lot of questions. Yeah, so maybe we'll return to that later when we get to that. So first of all, we have this airplane scene um, before we get to this um, visit of Mr. C in prison. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there were a couple of things about that I think we want to talk about, yeah? Yeah, so this is uh, Diane and Albert and Tammy and Cole all taking a private jet, presumably the FBI's jet, yeah. uh, to South Dakota to go and confront Cooper, right? Yeah, Diane's sitting apart from the rest of them, though. She is, um, yeah. But we get a couple of things here. Well, first, maybe let's start with the airplane windows yeah, thing. Yeah, so you get the external shot. Well, this is the thing I ultimately read. I think it's stock footage you can find. Okay. Um, oh, okay. 
But the reason I found that is that people picked up on this weird thing happening with the airplane windows. Yes, yeah, there's flashing lights in a certain um, order. Which is not in the stock footage, right? So people started going down this rabbit hole of, um, is there some kind of secret code here with these flashes on the airplane windows? Ah. And if you go back and you watch that scene um, frame by frame or whatever, you can see it's very definitely there's something there. So what do they just, like, let's say there's windows one through five, and whichever one flashes, they say, oh, the, the code is two, five, four, one, or, well, you know, have you looked into this? What there, are they no, interpreting? I, no, I have. There's, like, six windows, uh-huh. and then people notice there's also something that flashes sort of on the tail window, so that would be seven, um, but they flash, you know, like the middle three will light up, or hmm. then one at the front, and then one at the back. Um, I'm not getting that quite right, I don't think. Um, there, I've been trying to keep up on this. I've yet to find anything uh, where it really seems like someone has cracked the code here. Um, but there's all sorts of stuff. If you go on um, Welcome to Twin Peaks, uh, the website, there's an article about this. A number of people have commented on there. Uh, I know people have uh, been engaging with this on Reddit, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if nothing else, if you go to those websites, you can be impressed by the level of um, obsessiveness. Of yeah, it's, these it's fans, actually something you know? we're consciously trying not to do here because yeah. we want to be the fanatical analysis, but yeah. we don't want to actually fall into a rabbit hole where we're we're drifting so far away well, from the story. Right. Itself. I just wanted to mention it because it is something that. You know, I am kind of hoping that some good, you know, code breaker or something comes up with something that seems cool here. Yeah. But they haven't yet. Some people are theorizing maybe it's um, flute fingerings or something. And they're talking about Wyndham Earl's <laughs> flute. Yeah. And Well, um, uh, Wyndham Earl had a shakuhachi flute, actually, which uh, only has four holes in it. Okay. Traditional yeah. so, Japanese. Right, exactly. Family. Right. Yeah. There's just all this stuff. and Not and, to dispel that one too I know, quickly. but a lot <laughs> of it... That's the thing. A lot of it just seems like speculation, and I, I've tried to have an eye out for anything that seemed like, aha, this is it, and yeah. it's just not there yet. Well, Maybe eventually, though, you know, give it 25 years. Yeah. Well, I interpret it as not so much uh, what's the secret code, but just that there's this flashing light, just like yeah. the Detective Dave's flashlight. That's um, true, Any yeah. kind of strobing or any kind, anytime you see something in a Lynch project that has to do with um, intermittent electricity mm-hmm. flow— that's not solid, you yeah, know, okay. the light that's strobe. And, you know, so here's another example of that, even though it's just a reflection. Mm-hmm. Um, if it is just a reflection, it's also it's actually not electrical light. Well, but it doesn't. That's part of the thing that got people down this rabbit hole. Mm-hmm. Really, if it's supposed to be the sun glancing off the windows, mm-hmm. they did a bad job. Which yeah. That's not really plausible. Right. right. So it's, it just doesn't really seem like it's just the sun. But maybe you're onto something in terms of that flickering light motif. Yeah. Um, Maybe let's just leave it at yeah, that for we'll, the moment. Well, if we get to revisit it, there will be a reason to revisit it. Yeah. Um, so, but there's a couple of funny and interesting things that happen on this airplane ride to South Dakota. South Dakota. Um, we see, uh, first of all, Albert is quoting the Bible. Yeah. He says, judge not lest ye be judged. Yeah. To which Diane, of course, responds. Fuck you, Albert. Fuck you, yeah. Albert. Yeah, okay. So I, I love that. I was half guessing. Yeah, yeah Diane yeah. has so many fuck yous involved, you know. <laughs> What's your name again? Fuck you, Tammy. Yeah, the fuck you, Tammy, is really uh, yeah. a great one because uh, we're not quite expecting that. But when you connect that, I actually get it. Like, I wonder how much that was about Tammy and how much um, Diana specifically saying, are you associated with the FBI? Yeah. Yeah. Well, then fuck you. Exactly. Because you know? right at the end of this whole thing, when she says cheers to the FBI or whatever, that's what I was trying to point out before. She seems pissed at the organization yeah. as a whole and thus all of its members. Yeah. Right. Right. 
Um, but so talking about Tammy, she brings over those fingerprints. We yeah, saw we saw her studying these a couple earlier. episodes ago. Mm-hmm. And um, Albert notices um, rather quickly that the one fingerprint is, well, it's been first. Well, or yeah, or that the uh, person who took it flipped it around to make it look like the old fingerprints, but it was actually reversed. Right. Right. Um, and I sort of love this. We mentioned the backwards uh, very mm-hmm. before. And now we get lynched through Gordon Cole talking about that directly, explicitly, right? Yes. Yeah. And so they're coming back to Cooper, but, um, you know, Albert, Cole, and Tammy have all seen this Cooper before. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, he says when he greets him, he greets him inappropriately by saying, it is Yerev, very good to see you right. again, old friend. So, And so he compares that to the numbers of digits on the hand. Right, so he counts it out on the uh, on Tammy's fingers, mm-hmm. I think, right? And on the left ring finger, this is the fingerprint that's um, backwards or whatever. Yeah, he says it's the spiritual mound or the spiritual finger. Yeah, you think about that, Tammy. Now, you think about that, Tammy. Um, that's hilarious in itself because Tammy's like very sharp, obviously. But, yeah, you know, she noticed there's, this. There's some things that uh, that maybe she just quite doesn't understand the level of um, kind of probably – um, extra physical, metaphysical possibilities going on here. Yeah, I just loved how quickly it seems um, they're picking up on the fingerprint thing. Mm-hmm. I loved how explicitly Lynch uh, is bringing up the Erev thing. Mm-hmm. Like he for says a couple it of weeks, up, yeah, for, right, exactly. So for a couple of weeks, maybe um, some of us were thinking we're really cool and hip for having noticed this little. Oh, thing. that was and, a secret Easter egg. Well, yeah, that you'll then, never hear then, about again. Then Lynch is yeah. just straightforwardly bringing it right out into the open. Yeah. So. Well, the other thing is um, that it's the spiritual mound, the spiritual finger, it's the ring finger, which right. suggests, you know, a ring. Left ring finger. Left ring with finger. With this ring I the wed. With this ring right. I the wed and the jade wedding. ring. And so this connects a lot, of, a lot of things to the story, yeah. In, indeed. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, quite an interesting scene. So then they get to the prison, basically, right? That's why they're on this airplane. And uh, Diane is uh, insistent that she talk to... Uh, quote unquote Cooper alone. Yeah, and Cole um, says, you know, we, the, you're in control of this. You control the curtain. You control the microphone. Ten minutes stops. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. and then this scene again, really disturbing. Yeah, just the the revealing of uh, this evil Cooper, Mister C, behind the screen with the curtain coming yeah. up. And this happened in the other time we saw this before too. When the curtain rises, he's already staring right into your eyes. And we've oh, known yeah, he he can that, predict right. when the food's coming, and he has this kind of extra sensory thing going. Um, in this moment. He's mm-hmm. already staring her down as second his eyes can make contact. And he says, I knew it was going to be you. Right. So it's just really scary right off the bat. Are you upset with me, Diane? Yeah. He says, are you upset with me? And he says, I think that you're upset with me. Yeah. And, um, you know, in this, um, she's basically kind of giving Cooper a test, right? Trying to see, are you the Cooper that I know? Right. She says, when was it the last time that we saw each other, basically? At your house. Don't you remember? And she says, you know... Uh, I'll always remember that. Yeah, they both say they'll always remember. Yeah, um, or never forget. I'll never forget mm-hmm. it. Yeah, I think Diane says both. And so now we're starting to wonder what happened. Yep, right? Diane also, she says, look at me. Yeah. Um, and then Cooper says, uh, you know, uh, or she says, uh, who are you? Yeah. And Cooper says, I do not know. I don't know what you mean when you right. say, who are you? And this reminded right. me of the previous time when he's met with Cole and there's the statement about, you know, we're looking forward to having you home again. Right. And he says, well, I've never left home. Right. 
And mm-hmm. so now it's like, who are you? Well, I don't know what you mean. Exactly. And so that could bring up a couple of things. The fascinated about, you know, essentially who is he? And that's exactly the question that we have. Exactly. But I think the other big question here is what happened on that night, right? Because yeah. when was the last time I saw you? You might answer by saying what we did, yeah. right? Like the last time I saw you was when we were recording the other night or whatever, right? Yeah. But instead we get the last time I saw you was at your house. Yeah. And mm-hmm. what happened at her house that they will always remember. And given the way Mr. C's voice and a whole demeanor remains so dark and creepy, I think we're guessing it was something bad, probably, yeah. that happened. Yeah, right? and this also could be the reason why she says good that he's in jail. Right, yeah. um, Because there's something that has happened between them in the past that doesn't seem to be too good. She also, in this moment, says for him to look at her. She says very emotionally, yeah. look at me. And he does. He's still looking at her. And then in that moment, I think she decides what the answer is. Yeah. And she lowers the curtain. She's had enough. She can't take it. Yeah. So there is another question related to this of whether that last time they saw each other, it was the evil Cooper uh, or not. I mean, I was kind of thinking probably it was. Yeah. But we don't know where in the timeline that happened. Yeah, We just don't know for sure. But I was thinking probably it was. Uh, I'm guessing that it probably was because we never saw Diane in Twin Peaks. Right. And that's where he stopped. That's where he ended Lodge. And, you know. Exactly. Right. So it would have to have been if it was the good Cooper, it would have have to have been before he went to Twin Peaks. So she's quite disturbed by this. She closes the curtain. She Mm -hmm. goes out to meet with Cole and them, leaves in a huff and everybody's chasing after her. Yeah. And, you know, she goes out into the parking lot and there's this moment um, where that we mentioned earlier where she's discussing with Cole separate from Tammy and Albert. Right. Um, She pulls out a little bottle of vodka and she kind of pounds it. Yeah. Um, And it's in this moment where she's it seems like she's about to crack. And Laura Dern is amazing. I love her. Mm -hmm. She's an amazing actress. She's really pulling something cool off here Yeah. where she's about to crack physically um, and she pounds this little thing of vodka. Yeah. She swallows it and she toughens right up. And we see that's the tool she uses. And she says, cheers to the FBI. Yeah. And again, yeah. it's like a fuck the FBI. Indeed. And well, so like, she's blaming something about the power structure or the FBI opening up some kind of mm-hmm. rift themselves. Who knows? But yeah, we see that this is uh, alcohol is she's is how she's coping. Yeah, and she explicitly says here when she's talking to Gordon that it's not just a matter of age passing or him changing or whatever, but that something's not there. Yeah, right? and, and she's gesturing toward her heart. Her heart. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that's worth noting. Yeah, right? that's definitely worth noting. Um, and does, correct me if I'm wrong, Cole asks what happened the last time that they saw each other. Yeah. And she she says, doesn't answer right now, but she says, you know what? You and I are going to have to talk. We'll have a talk sometime yeah. or something like that. Yeah. yeah so, so I want to be in the room when that conversation yeah, happens. Yeah, I hope I mean, that we see that at some point yeah. and aren't just left to guess. Yeah. yeah. But that also implies like even separated 20 feet from Tammy and Albert, no, this is something that will be between you and mm-hmm. me. Yeah. And maybe I'll tell you in another time. Agreed. And it must be something kind of fucked up because yeah. otherwise maybe she could have communicated it in that yeah, moment. Yeah, definitely thinking something along the lines of sexual assault or something. Um, but we'll see. We'll see what, we've, what yeah. we learn. And that's, forward. of course, speculation. But speculation grounded in kind of reading well, the yeah, character's I mean, reaction. Yeah, definitely. And, um, you know, so, again, this brings it back to, yeah, we got our Cooper back, but... Is he hmm. irredeemably evil now? And how did, jeez, well, man, and Frost if, um, and Lynch. Gosh. One thing I don't even think I thought about this until maybe the other day. If um, you know, if we do get, um, however, this might happen. You mm-hmm. know, if we get back to the one Cooper, um, will he remember what Mister C has done? Because that would be heartbreaking. 
Well, um, there are some hints at the possibilities here. I mean, yeah. you know, when Leland cracks and right. realizes that it was Bob, exactly, he does remember everything yeah. that he did, yeah. and he arguably dies because of the guilt. Yeah, so right. Um, Leland dies in that scene not because of his heart stopping or somebody hits him or you know he just kind of dies of guilt and doesn't he bang fear. his he- his head against the yeah, he's, he's, wall on purpose yeah. or something? Yeah, yeah. But that you're happens, right. But he's still right. you know he's. Uh, so I guess you could say it's a it's a suicide in that sense. But even mm-hmm. after he hits the, his head against the wall and when he's on the floor, he's still kind of crying. Yeah. And there's a moment there where Cooper takes his hand and kind of gives him redemption, though, right? Um, kind of, or offers him forgiveness. Yes. I, this is, I think and I always thought that. it was one of those moments where he's like, you know, look into the light. Mm-hmm. Things are going to be okay. This was beyond you. Yeah. And you know what? It's it, To me, that was kind of a redemptive moment that Cooper stepped in and gave him. But I always loved the idea that Cooper was um, – th- there's a high degree of empathy with Cooper. Absolutely. And when he does that, he is basically, even if it's not going to add up to anything in the quote-unquote afterlife, um, he's still going to let him die without such a great weight on his chest. Yeah. And so if somebody lifts a weight off of another's chest, you can only think, well, is he taking that weight on himself? And that's actually what we saw. Right. We're talking about Mr. C, right? Mm-hmm. And this is basically the next thing we're going to go to, right? Mm-hmm. So a lot of good continuity in this episode. Yeah. Um, back to the prison in South Dakota. And Mr. C blackmailing the warden. Right. This is great. Something about a strawberry. Yeah. You know, that's how he gets in the room with the warden, who then says he's turned off the cameras and pulls out a gun and points into Mr. C's face. Yeah. Mr. C says something along the lines of, uh, you know, uh, first of all, let's remind everybody that when they catch Mr. C, yeah. They find him with some cocaine, with a submachine gun. And, and a dog with, leg. And a dog leg. <laughs> yeah. And he reminds the warden here of the leg, and he says, you know what, there's that, three other legs. That dog had four legs. That dog yeah. had four legs. The, and uh, um, the other legs have gone out with the information he doesn't want anybody to know. Yeah, with the information you are thinking about right now. Right now. Yeah. Implying that he's reading his mind. He mentions that uh, if anything happens to him... That the other dog legs have gone out with the information that he's thinking about. Right, which is kind of weird because you do have, um, I mean, okay, so he's got some information on him, but uh, why the dog legs, right? Yeah, why the dog legs? <laughs> and who are the other people? Because he also says you, the dog legs went out with that information to some people that he definitely wouldn't want coming around there. Right, exactly. So who are, is this henchmen? Is this, you know, who is it? that is possibly going to come threaten. Yeah, that's unclear. And um, the warden asks him, you know, how do we? Uh, how does he know that uh, Mr. C knows, mm-hmm. uh, right? And he, yeah, he tells him, he just says the name Joe McCluskey. Right, like that's that's enough, yep. right? Now the warden says, oh, fuck, you, yeah. you, you do have the dirt on me. Yeah. Um, looking up Joe McCluskey, uh, we talked about this. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know, just there is a historical figure, a track runner, I mentioned to you, right? This right. Olympic track runner. And uh, it's an interesting little anecdote. I don't know if uh, Lynch and Frost want us to be finding this, but um, the track runner Joe McCluskey in the 1932 Olympics got the bronze medal in the steeplechase. But it turned out that the um, lap counter made a mistake and they actually ran one lap too many. Hmm. And if they'd called the race when it should have ended, he would have had the silver medal. Hmm. Um, But Joe McCluskey said, you know, no, there's only one finish line. And so that stood. and so I guess it's the only uh, steeplechase run or whatever in Olympic history that is um, one lap longer than standard. I see. Weird little detail, I thought, yeah. that, that I found here. Mm. In terms of the show, 
no idea who Joe McCluskey is. Right. Well, there's like four um, ways I can fit that into the Twin Peaks canon as making sense in interdimensionalism or loops or yeah. something, you know, but um, chasing a steeple. But, uh, yeah, it's interesting to follow that up. Right. And then there's this other thing in here about Mr. Strawberry again, yeah. right? You're late Mr. Strawberry now, yeah. he says. Yeah, he says, if anything happens to me, they're going to find out the legs and they're going to find out about Joe McCluskey and your late Mr. Right. Strawberry. But he says, I, yeah, well, he says, I don't care about you, so let me go. Uh, and let Ray go, give me a car with a friend in the glove box, right. right? And then no one will ever have to find out about, you know, Joe McCluskey and your late Mr. Strawberry. Correct. Right? So yeah. who the hell is Mr. Strawberry? Uh, we've, this is, I think, the third mention of Mr. Mm-hmm. Strawberry. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I kind of started thinking it was a dog for some reason, maybe because of the possessive, your um, yeah, and just Mr. Strawberry thing. doesn't sound like the average, you know, there are, of course, I can think of, yeah, I can think of I, yeah, another sports reference. But. Yeah, but, uh, uh, yeah, and apparently whoever it is uh, is dead, I guess. You're yeah, late, late, Mr. Strawberry. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's about all we get, but apparently it's enough for the warden to decide to let him and Ray go, even Correct. though Gordon Cole, director of the FBI, yeah. has just told him, hold on to this guy. Yeah. So whatever, when they drive away yeah. in that car he provides them, he's kind of looking up from the balcony and he's, he's looking down on them and he's probably going through his mind, oh, I st- I'm probably still in a heap of shit. Yeah, yeah. And how he's, do I explain this away? He's deep, he needs a golden shovel. Yeah. He needs, he's deep, <laughs> about yeah. this time. Yeah, he, yeah, that yeah. guy needs a golden shovel indeed, for sure. Indeed. Um, the other thing that um, we should point out is that it's not just him either, right? He's got other guards at the prison that are yeah. obviously willing to go along with him breaking the law. Well, he is the warden, mm-hmm. but, um, but yeah, he does... Um, sort of tie in some guards as complicit here. So um, Ray and uh, Mr. C are on the road, heading yep. who's, who knows where they're yep. heading, but they're gone and they're no longer locked up. And after the eerie communications between Mr. C and uh, Cole and Diane, uh, it's quite disconcerting to know he's back on the road again. Right. And, you know, um, I recall when I watched this the first time, having this thought of, uh, well, I guess I should have seen this coming. We weren't just going to leave Doppel Cooper in prison for the whole show. Sure. So, yeah. All right. So he's out and, um, you know, um, it's a little dark, but I was also kind of excited by that moment because I really did enjoy him being out in the world. Oh, and yeah. Kicking people's ass. And yeah. so I'm curious to see what uh, he does next after yeah. this. For oh, I like sure. bad guys, too. Yeah. For sure. Well, for yeah. sure. Yeah. Um, so this brings us back to Lucky Seven Insurance in what I think is probably my favorite scene in this episode. Oh, yeah, with Dougie yes. now. And, and so uh, your this, favorite scene mm-hmm. is... Um, well, just this, this whole sequence of events that okay, starts yeah. in the insurance office with Tony kind of talking to Dougie like, hey, I saw you talking um, to Bushnell, right? Yeah. And he's trying to... And Dougie's just kind of... Did you notice this? He's kind of like um, stabbing the desk with the pencil. He's not even writing on anything. It's like that, you know, whatever that stuff is on your desk... In an office, it's kind of black, uh, foamy stuff. Yeah. He's just kind of poking at that. Yeah. Right? Okay. Yeah, he's. Uh, I, I think what it is is he uses the pencil in a, like a knife. We noticed that before yeah. when he doesn't hold it properly. But the notepad, he is strayed from. And if you look at the notepad in yeah. front of him, you see the staircase and the images he was drawing right. before. But he's continued drawing it off of the paper onto the desk. So he's still stabbing and drawing that yeah. same symbol is which what is I weird thought. because when he was making those symbols on the case files before he seemed to be getting some guidance with those lights so okay but um but mo- he's basically ignoring tony and tony like we saw in the other scene tony kind of keeps right. talking and filling in the blanks well um, and he's maybe getting a little paranoid now because dougie's called him out as a liar yeah right and he wants to know what him and bushnell were talking about so it basically gives us the idea that 
you know, he's worried that they're going to get to the bottom of his insurance scam or whatever was happening. Right. Now. Yeah. Right. So the, the police show up to see Dougie about his car and humorously, um, they are the detectives Fusco. Right. right. Three you of them. This? They're brothers. This yeah. Time. And if you look in the credits, all of them um, have first names, but they share a last name and apparently they're brothers. And I just um, I thought it was particularly humorous that this is how they introduce themselves. Now, and correct badge. me if I'm wrong. Detectives Fusco. Yeah. yeah. And they love doing it that way, too. OK, so also this is the third uh, group of brothers we've been introduced to in the show that I can remember. We have, mm-hmm. of course, you know, Harry and Frank, the sheriffs of Twin Peaks. Right. The brothers Fusco, which are the detectives here. Yeah. And then there's the brothers in the casino, correct? Yeah, the Mitchums who the were Mitchums. showing up uh, in that casino scene. So, yeah, a lot of um, brothers going on uh, mm-hmm. here in The Return. Um, that's okay. kind of interesting. And, and, Just a point and, to be noted. I wonder if we'll um, continue to see a theme like that. Well, particularly with three detectives who are brothers. And mm-hmm. to go back to the Trumans, I don't think we hit on this before, but um, my understanding of how um, sheriffs work, it does seem odd to me that a town could have two. Uh, aren't they usually elected? Well, but we haven't seen them both acting sheriffs at the right. same time. Right. I mean, I guess there's a question of whether Frank they're both acting. In, yeah, 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 yeah. After Harry got sick. Um, yeah. But still, you know, here we've got three detectives who are brothers. That, that's a little odd. Yeah. But it also um, is possibly an underlying hint at describing nepotism and authority or... Maybe. You know, because we're seeing these uh, figures of authority that uh, are in the same families, you know. Mm-hmm. But this is a humorous scene, and, and, and we should mention also Janie E. shows up around this time to give Dougie a ride. Yeah, so the Fusco brothers are there seemingly pointing fingers at Dougie a little bit, asking, grilling him about his car. Right, but Janie E.'s there in order to actually field these questions for the most part. Exactly. Because she, Dougie's Dougie, you know. Yeah. Um, but she fields them perfectly, too, right? Oh, it's great. There are more important things in life than a car, yeah. you know. And, um, well, you know, well, now is as good a time as any to tell you that, we, yeah, we're reporting it missing now. Yeah, Dougie, indeed. are you missing your car? Yes, we are reporting it missing. And yes. then Bushnell comes in and helps out, and he says, officers, you know, have you found the car? And finally it becomes revealed that they have. Yeah, and I know. wondered about this. He, he comes in and he says, oh, but you have found the car, haven't you? Like, he's, it's more accusatory. Like, he knows that they have. Well, I think maybe he had heard them talking mm-hmm. and just inferred from the questions they were asking that they'd found the car, right? Why were they showing up right. to ask about the car I when see. Dougie hadn't reported the car yeah. missing or stolen? Well, probably because they found the yeah. car, right? And then, and then they admit, okay, we found the car. Yeah. It's been destroyed in a fire and some car thieves have died right. in the car. Well, there you go then. Yeah, there you yeah, go then. That all. answers it. Uh, but yeah, a nice humorous little scene. They want them to do some other paperwork, but because uh, Janie is such a tough dame, um, they say, you know, she can do it later. They can do it later. Right. And Bush yeah. Bushnills wants to keep them around for something specific and then actually says, okay, you've had a long day. Why don't you head home or whatever? We'll talk later as well. Right. Um, and then this leads them outside the building for the climax of what I take as the paired scene because we're still in the same location. Right. And here comes like the spike. This is awesome. But he so, doesn't have a spike anymore because he broke it. Yeah. So we no. saw him last time yeah. he bent the spike apparently um. by stabbing somebody to death <laughs> too hard. Yeah. Um, uh, so he's got a little gun. And, you know, this is them leaving the building with Janie is, is also kind of reaffirming a few things about, you know, paying the debt off and yeah. starting a new life and being debt free and getting you know mm, worrying all of that. fixing the car scenario and all this in the middle of all this you, you hear a scream and ike the spike runs from the crowd and rushes them and mm. like you're pointing out he's got a gun now but there's yep. this weird moment where he's not standing back and aiming and shooting a gun yeah. it's like he's so used to using a spike that he's gonna rush you and stab you with a gun or something <laughs> yeah um, or at least he's gonna get up close um 
And then we see a flash of maybe our old Dale yeah. almost, right? Um, sort of pushes Janie out of the way, grabs uh, Spike's arm. Yep, um, smacks him in the throat. Yeah, Janie's involved too here. Though. Yeah, she's she got her man's yeah. back. Yeah, she jumps and she's attacking him. And then uh, the thing I loved was uh, with the uh, evolution of the arm appearing. Uh, squeeze his hand off. Squeeze his hand off. Yeah. That's weird. And then, of course, you know, it shows Coop in that moment where he's, he's the Ike the Spike is gripping the gun and then Coop is gripping Ike the Spike's hand. Yeah. So, as you know, a grip on a gun can be quite rough, almost right. sharp. Yeah, indeed. And he does actually squeeze the palm of his hand yeah. off, leaving and flesh on the gun. And the gun is left behind, but it appears to me Ike the Spike gets away. He runs away after uh, Dougie gets yeah, the gun Yeah, a few chops to the hand. throat and yeah. Janie E and getting your hand squeezed off. It was, ter- turns out it was a bit much for Ike the Spike. Yeah, and then this is an interesting bit in the... Um, you know, a work like Twin Peaks that you get this kind of faux news coverage scene. Yes. And you get uh, audience reactions, uh, first of which is Janie E. really yeah. saying, you know, basically, oh, my man handled business, she says something yeah. along the lines of. And, she's, and, you know, it's a very exciting moment where you can see that she's yeah. enthralled. That and then he's some come other to woman her. saying, for sure, you know, Ike wasn't a victim or anything. Douglas Jones is a hero, and yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, also, we get a little girl that pops in there yeah. and says, he smelled funny. Right. Like scorched engine oil, perhaps? At least. I asked that question to myself. Or maybe he just smelled like that half a bottle of Bullet that <laughs> yeah. we saw him drinking earlier. Yeah, life. maybe he just smells funny in a more ordinary kind of way. Right. right? We don't get much more than that. Um, uh, another uh, quite interesting thing that happens in this scene is you see the close-up of the um, forensic scientists collecting the evidence. Uh-huh. They pull the gun up, and they peel the flesh off of the gun. Yeah. Which is itself just so abstract. When Indeed. has that ever happened in a crime scene? You know? Right. Um, but the physics of it, you can the physiology of it, like yeah, that could happen, right? If Agent Cooper is extremely strong, yeah, you know. So, but we see that it's happened. Yeah, they peel the flesh off and deposit it in an evidence bag. And you notice some kind of effect here. Yeah, there's definitely like a vignetting effect that happens here. Um, we don't see this anywhere else in the show yet. Um, but it's like trying to draw attention to something, like when you see in those. Like say news uh, investigative reports, this whole scene feels like that, like it's yeah. a like a fictional investigative reports that's exactly, happening, yeah. where you see like where they'll dark out everywhere in the image except for one little vignette area, okay. and it's drawing your attention to that. Except the weird thing is it's totally a close up shot of that happening, and the vignette <laughs> fills most of the screen. Yeah. So obviously we're looking at that, but it's a stylistic maneuver, I guess, that they're pulling off. But uh, I I thought it was pretty interesting, but. Uh, if nothing else, just to point out, like, hey, this bit of flesh is maybe a little bit more important. Remember yeah. that you saw this kind of thing. That's cool. And, I mean, I also uh, got thinking here that there might be some possibility with this um, kind of fake news. No, sorry, not fake news. But with the move towards the style of this being a news story, right. uh, whether that might start getting uh, Dougie Coop on the radar yeah. of um, – you know, I don't know, Gordon or someone yeah, or something. Yeah, somebody's seeing right? this action, right? Um, it calls that into attention. And also just the forensics of it, of the flesh itself, that we might get DNA, we might get a match, we might finally right. discover, some he, investigative officer might discover who Ike the Spike is from this. Mm-hmm, yeah. And you kind of get the and idea And they're probably going to want to talk to Dougie, you know, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you kind of get the idea that Ike the Spike was like a untouchable kind of assassin that had always come through. Yeah. You know, because, you know, when he's called in, yeah. it's because previously we saw a failed assassination right. attempt. Right, Gene didn't get it done. So yeah. Ike the Spike is the, uh, you know, like the closer. Yeah, he cleaned up the mess is. of the the first yeah. assassination attempt. But now we see that he can't do it either. 
Yeah, so that's interesting. And so who who's going to get a little red box on their computer now? I yeah. don't know. Well, we shall so see. So I, I thought that was quite interesting. Also super action-packed. And there's a little bit in like what we're describing in this kind of news media style. Yeah. That there's a little bit of, I don't know, dream logic or something's off. It's a maybe something like a fantasy that we've all had of like, ooh, I'll be the hero. Yeah. And, you know, Janie E. jumps in. She's like, ooh, and then he was boom, bam. And, ooh, my man's <laughs> taking care of business, you know. It's a really fun moment. And I love that scene a lot. Yeah. So we go from there, I think, directly back to Twin Peaks. And we have this um, kind of interesting scene in the Great Northern with Ben Horn mm-hmm. and Beverly. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a tone in the room, right? Like a ringing. Yeah, and they're trying to figure out where it's coming from um, and kind of go back and forth in the room. Um, this did uh, make me think of Josie um, just because the last time we saw Josie was in the Great Northern and it seemed like she got trapped in the wood. Hmm. Um, yeah. I don't know. Maybe that's speculation. Maybe they want us to think about that. Um, we don't really get much more information other than there's this... Um, humming sound of uh, indeterminate source. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, they're moving around the room and they're trying to see where it's coming from every time they get into a spot that it seems like it they're like no, it's coming yeah, not now, coming. Now from it sounds there. like it's coming from over there, you know. But in the mean, in the midst of this, uh, Beverly remembers that they have received the hotel key. The key. 315. Yeah. And right. in seeing this Ben Horn kind of has a moment where he's like, "Huh, we haven't used these uh, kind of keys in 20 years, he points out, until yeah. we switched over to the card system, which we all know in our hotels now. Yeah, and I like how, and speaking of Josie, I like how he remembered that it was Cooper's room because it was the room in which Josie shot Cooper. Yes. Right, because you think, well, you're running a hotel. You probably are going to have those memories about that time that an FBI agent got shot in your hotel. Yep. Right? Yep. Uh, and I liked how they kind of um, put that detail in there. Yeah, that was great. And yeah. he mentions Dale Cooper and he mentions Laura Palmer. And both yeah. of which Beverly says, who's Dale Cooper? Who's Laura Palmer? Yeah, he just says, well, that's a long story. That's a long story. Yeah. yeah, and I love that there's this little meta moment. We have some characters yeah. in town now that weren't familiar with the uh, insane amount of things that happened 25 years ago in this small town. and I I wondered about Beverly because the next thing we see is she's going home and there's a sort of, um, you know, home nurse uh, who says, uh, you know, he's been missing you. And we're getting the feeling that she's going to go into her sick husband just from that. Mm -hmm. And um, I was wondering if this was going to be someone we know from the original run my mind starts going along those lines, but of course it's not. This is a new character named Tom, and he's sick, and you have this little scene that doesn't really hook up with much of anything else. Yeah, so she's late to come to him. She says, I want to make you some food, but he's kind of like, where were you? And he's bitter. You can tell he's mm-hmm. a little bitter. Um, she This upsets her. She says, you know, I know you're sick and all, but she says, don't, f- don't use that to fuck with me. Yeah. And she says, you know, don't fuck this up for me. I didn't want to go back to work, but I had to. Yeah, I mean, if anything, I, I drew a, a little parallel to thinking about Shelley and Leo in the original run once Leo's incapacitated. Mm-hmm. Um, other than that, um, but th- there's it's a, a good scene. It, it is a good scene, and we have more questions that come up from this and wanting to see where this relationship is going. But, you know, she says to him basically that she had things to do at work, yeah. and we just saw what was going what on at work. What she was doing was, uh, where's that homecoming from? Yeah, where's from? the homecoming yeah. from? And also... There's a little bit of something between the two in that moment. Besides the hum, besides the key, yeah. we don't know. Are they flirting? Are they, you know, at the end of that scene, um, Ben says, uh, don't call me Mr. Horn, call me Ben. That's true. Yeah. And so there's a little bit of a familiarizing happening in that scene. And the way that they're moving around the room is, is I thought, kind of like a dance. Yeah. So we don't know what's going on there. We also know Ben Horn's history 
being an authority figure that likes to use that. Uh, yeah, to well, be and his uh, history of infidelity. Exactly. Although I guess we also don't know whether Ben is still married to Sylvia at this yeah. point. I mean, you know, we talked about that scene before at the Haywards' house in the uh, season two finale. Right. We don't know what happened to Ben's marriage after right. that, but you know, being married never stopped him from fooling around in mm-hmm. the past. Mm-hmm. Right. So. Yep. Um, we'll see where this is going with Beverly and her sick husband, Tom. Presumably, we're going to see them again. I don't think this would just be a one-off for no reason. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so, again, mm-hmm. we'll we'll see what that leads to. Um, from here, we actually get back to the roadhouse. Yeah, we're back to the roadhouse for the music. Yeah. Right? We think for the music, uh, but it is for the music, but this time it's like pre-recorded music, right? We get Green Onions. Right. Uh, yeah. b- Booker T and the Booker uh, T and MGs. the MGs, yes. Right. Um, and we get the scene where um, it's, it seems like it's post-party or after a show at the Roadhouse, and they're cleaning up all the peanuts and junk. Yeah, like I thought that was kind of brilliant. You just basically get something like two full minutes of the guy sweeping the floor. Yeah. You see um, Jean-Michel Renault in the background, but he's not saying anything or doing anything at first. It's just right. sweeping. So talking about our expectations and uh, potentially subverting them, you know, we've been going to the Roadhouse most episodes in order to close out the episode so watching this long scene of um, sweeping up the floor, you might half expect starring Kyle MacLachlan to pop up on your screen if you weren't paying attention to the time code. Yeah, right. But no, we're not done. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interrupted ultimately with uh, the phone ringing. And what did you think of this phone call, Mike? Yeah, this is pretty messed up. So <laughs> we have Jean-Michel Renault. It's not Jacques Renault, but we saw what the other Renaults were up to in the past. Yeah. Um. He basically gets a call, and he's talking about prostitutes that he's provided for somebody, uh, except uh, it's told to him over the phone by some unknown source that they were 15 years old. Yeah, Um, but he keeps saying, he owes me for two. I sent him two blondes. Two blondes um, that he said, oh, I saw IDs. He says they were whores or straight-A whores. Yeah, but he's correcting him. He's like, no, don't get it wrong. They're straight-A whores. So he's whatever, you know, is being placed on him about, oh, they were too young. Are you exploiting these ladies or whatever it is? He's saying, no. They're whores, but, you know, and two 15-year-old girls. inflecting things and making the same facial expressions that we saw Jacques make years yeah. ago. Yeah. Um, although this is a different character now, as we've mentioned, Jean-Michel Renault. Correct. Um, another brother, right? We're, we're back to oh, brothers Oh, yeah, here's again. another set of brothers. And Correct. in particular, since it's the same actor and everything else, um, uh, was this another, I mean, not just another Renault brother we never heard of before, but... Maybe Jacques' twin. Yeah, even. twins. Um, so, uh, you know, that was interesting. And um, we don't know about One-Eyed Jacks and where that might stand, but certainly the Renaults are still involved with um, high school girls and prostitution, it would yeah. seem. Yeah. Yep. This is uh, something that came up before with Renault, and, and we saw that in um, Twin Peaks, uh, Firewalk With Me, with Ronette, mm-hmm. with Laura. Um, you know, don't forget, these are girls that have not yet graduated high school. Yeah, indeed. And no, they, they might have been 17. He's talking about 15. I think there's a tendency to, because of the stylistic nature of the show, to forget, like, sometimes how extreme yeah. the acts of violence and the exploitation is that we're witnessing. Yeah. But this is sex trafficking. This is trafficking drugs. And mm-hmm. um, it's some pretty horrible shit, basically. Yeah, dark underbelly of Twin Peaks. Exactly. Yeah, yet again. Exactly. Uh, but we do end this episode not with the music of the Roadhouse. We end it instead at that other great Twin Peaks institution, which is the Double R Diner. Yes. So this is um, there's a little transition shot. I mean, 
Of course, this skips to us seeing Ray and uh, Mr. C driving out of the prison. Mm-hmm. After that, we get a transition shot. It's just the trees, the blowing of the trees. Yep. Which, of course, you know, between the timber and just the green um, and the uh, logging industry, um, trees play a significant role. And here's this trees transition from kind of a dark place into a place of light yeah. to double our diner. It's busy. It's bustling. It's lit well. We so we see Shelly behind the counter, right? Mm-hmm. And we've got this music playing. What is it? Um, sleepwalk? uh, Sleepwalker. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so that's a, a really nice, um, like slide guitar piece that mm-hmm. um, is pretty popular. Like Green Onions, um, is similar to the same era. Yeah. Um, is also kind of affected electric guitar sound. Um, mm-hmm. But Sleepwalker is very smooth, and it's got these nice, this really nice melody to it. Right, but ultimately we talked about how uh, playing it through the credits, it seems like they added something in here. Yeah, if um, you listen, if you follow this all the way to the end of the credits, um, toward the end of the credits, it's this beautiful song with those melodies, and you do start to hear a fade-in on a, like a dark drone, like what can be described yeah. as a classic dark Black Lodge Twin Peaks it kind of It reminded me of drum. some of the music we might have heard... Um, around Wyndham Earl and the like in the original run. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure exactly. Someone out there might have, um, you know, done more work on this and isolating it. And if so, feel free to leave a comment. Let us know. Yeah. But again, we have like something really sweet and good and light, but it's got a seed of darkness underneath it. And that comes out in the music as well. Um, But what we're witnessing actually is just like a thriving moment of the double R diner. And so it plays very sweet and it's a nice place to end the episode. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, as we're reaching the end of episode seven, and we've seen a lot of disturbing action-packed things happen in this episode, um, just to bring it back home to the double R and the double R being successful, being a place, being this is the gathering spot. This is really the town square or the big fire, the bonfire that everybody gathers around mm-hmm. is the double R. That's the center of the light and the goodness that happens at Twin Peaks. At least that's how kind of I read it. Yeah, cool. And, you know, there is this one little thing we talked about um, that you can notice. It's very quick from shot to shot where the patrons do seem to move around or maybe they're different people. Again, though, I don't know. That could be just a continuity error or something like that. Um, But it is there. Yeah. And this might be worth talking about just for a quick minute is this continuity error that could just be a simple continuity error. They were shooting that scene for six hours and turns out they only used a minute. Yeah. yeah. So a couple people maybe have changed positions in just what seems like an edit over a second. Mm -hmm. Um, But there's also something that happens where a character runs in and screams, hey, anybody seen Bing? And then kind of runs away again. Yeah. Or does he say Billy? Well, um, I I saw I was watching actually the second time I watched the episode I watched it through with credits. Yeah. And in the credits that I or I'm sorry with uh, subtitles. Yeah. And in the subtitles that I saw it does say Bing. Yeah. And to me I don't know if it's just reading it but I heard Bing as well. Okay. But here's the uh, again this is a is this a continuity error or is something being set up to kind of make this a little bit off? Right. Because and then also in the um, in the credits we do get Bing credited. Mm-hmm. Um, played by Riley Lynch, yeah. David's son. But it would be weird. See, I think that it's supposed to be that he asked if anyone had seen Billy and that we're seeing Bing, and that's why he's in the credits. But this is weird, too. Yeah, again. So just a couple things in the scene that are either mistakes or not. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, if they are mistakes, even that, um, you know, I guess... I wouldn't hesitate to call them mistakes if we were dealing with other people, right? But with David Lynch, mm, yeah, I don't know. that's why I give it pause too. Um, yeah. Because on any other project, this is uh, 
you know, and it's hard to say mistakes. It's continuity errors that aren't yeah. caught in the filming, and then in editing, you know, you put it together, and you're like, oh, well, this person's in a different spot. Yeah. Um, so that could be, but knowing what we know, it could potentially be some of this misdirection we're talking about. Yeah. Um, it does bring up the fact of, like, is there a dream logic kind of thing happening? Right. Or possibly this kind of, it's also been hinted at this interdimensionalism happening. Yeah. So is it a continuity error or two? Uh, or is mm -hmm. it a little clue of some kind? Um, and if it were a clue and we were going to analyze that a little bit more, we would be guessing at parallel universe theory or yeah, something uh, like that, right? You know, something like that. We've talked about the inconsistencies between what we know from the show and what's in the secret history. And that's going to be a big question um, that we have in the back of our minds are a number of inconsistencies. So how do we ultimately reconcile that? I mean, um, to parallel it, right, one way would be to suggest that, well, in the secret history, we have an unreliable narrator or something like that. Right. <clears throat> is it that? That would be kind of deflationary. Mm -hmm. uh, or is it going all the way in the other direction towards, oh, maybe there are, you know, po uh, multiple parallel Twin Peakses at play here, right? Ooh, now you're getting into something that could be, well, the whole idea of duality, we've been talking about this whole time. Yeah. Also the fact that it is twin peaks yeah, so is with there... the brothers, with good and evil characters being uh -huh. embodied separately. Yeah. There, there's quite a lot of this happening. We, we talked about Deer Meadow. Right. It would, so it wouldn't exactly be, you know, out of nowhere if there's also somehow a duality to the town itself. Um, I just don't know if there's quite enough at this point to... Yeah. Really say that. Yeah. But we're fanatical, so we're going to speculate a little bit. Absolutely. And part of that is going to include, you know, considering phrases like, is it future or is it past? And right. when you get there, you will already be there. Right. So there's quite a lot of things that are woven in there that make me go, <laughs> what's going on? Yeah. You know, and um, so that's why it's, I think I think it's just getting better. The mystery is uh, raveling or unraveling, maybe both, and yeah. um, increasing for me. And I... Here at the end of episode seven, I find myself like, I cannot wait to see what's happening next. Okay, well, that wraps up this episode of uh, Drink Full and Descend, uh, a fanatical analysis of Twin Peaks. Thank you, Cameron. It's always good uh, discussing all this with you. Absolutely, Mike. Thank you as well. I enjoy this experience immensely. Me too. Yeah, this is uh, really fun, not only going through it, um, possibly raising some eyebrows and helping some other people interpret some things that are going on, but I would like to also state... Uh, throughout all this, I I'm really appreciating this. I'm really loving this process of really kind of digging into all of this. Uh, mm -hmm. And I don't pretend to have any secret knowledge or any secret understanding that anybody else could have. Because uh, at its core, this is about the mystery, and we're not. I feel like we're not really going to get a solid answer on anything. Right. We're just thinking about these things um, a whole lot. And, uh, you know, as always, I hope people are listening and enjoying this ride with us. And, you know, feel free to comment, point out things that we may have missed or disagree with us or prove us wrong about something. Um, yeah, exactly. Uh, and even when we get down into these rabbit holes of speculation, um, who knows, six more episodes from now, we might find out that it was about the bunny. It is all about the bunny. It might I'm, be all I'm about that sure bunny. I'm pretty sure it actually is. Yeah. And it's all Lucy's fault. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, Lucy's going to rain terror across the all of these cities that we've been visiting. <laughs> Um, it's like and the, yeah. one day I hope to do a nice little road trip that will include Snoqualmie, Washington, mm. uh, the Black Hills in South Dakota, New York City, Las Vegas, Buenos Aires, Argentina, and it's a hell um, of a road trip. And uh, also, where was um, 
Mr. C in that photograph that uh, we saw in the last episode. Oh, we didn't talk about this, I don't think, but Mr. C in that photograph is actually in um, Al Capone's mansion. Oh, he's in Al Capone's what? Yeah. And this is that, just something that, that we know from the um, net? or It's something that I know from the internet. Okay. I, I came across. It's from Al Capone's mansion in Miami. But but he's supposed to be in Rio. He's supposed to be in Rio. In that picture. Yeah, because the, uh, the mansion now belongs to a girl from Ipanema. Right, exactly. <laughs> to which, you know, Diane has like kind of uh, rolling her eyes at Albert at that point, describing it yeah. that way. Um, but what a cool photo and what an interesting... Okay, so Mr. C has really gotten around. Here's him in Rio. Yeah, in Gangster's Paradise. And yeah, it is like a uh, rap music video shoot, like pool, and, yeah. the, and the front porch that leads to the pathway is surrounded by two pools yeah. or whatever. And um, swanky, swanky to yeah. see Mr. C in that scenario. That was really yeah. funny. Really cool. Yeah. All right. So, Thanks um, for joining us. Yeah, we're signing off now. Enjoy. Have a good one.